In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me is not Richard. Nope. Evidently, they got a little bit of uh, snow over there in England, and uh, it totally smoothed things up. So the last I heard, he was walking to his neighbor's house to send me an email to let me know that he couldn't make it. So, hey, there you go. Uh, I don't know. Brits can't handle a little bit of snow. In New England, it's like nothing for us. If we don't get any snow, we get we feel deprived. But anyways, um, we're supposed to uh, have a guest on right now, uh, uh, a guy who's been on the show before. Uh, but this is under different circumstances, and I'm trying to find Eric, do we have him yet? Okay, well... Well, we try to get him on the line. Why don't we play a Beyond Bizarre, and then uh, we'll be right back. Yeah, no problem. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm actually talking to Eric. He, he's uh, doing his voice of God thing, which is something that we can only hear on our end and not yours. So I do apologize for that. Rising from the Grave. In his book, Scottish Body Snatchers, True Accounts, author Norman Adams paints several gruesome tales of premature burial and inadvertent rescue. Among them is the account of Maggie Dixon, who was hung in 1724 in Inveresk, presumably for a self-induced abortion that she had attempted to conceal. Maggie was hung in the town square, and it is said that the hangman pulled and swung on her legs once the noose was tightened and the latter was kicked out, just for good measure. She was cut down, apparently dead, and her body was put in a cart by her relatives to be taken home for burial. Along the way, the family and friends of the deceased Maggie stopped for a drink. While the mourners were inside the alehouse, Maggie regained consciousness. Her weak cries attracted help, and she was revived by a local surgeon. Later, she was granted her freedom and went on to live many years, being widely known as Half-Hanged Maggie. A similar tale is one from Aberdeenshire, where Marjorie Elphinstone was buried alive and roused from her premature, eternal slumber by a grave robber who was trying to steal the rings from her fingers. And there is the story of the minister's wife, Margaret Halcrow. She was saved from an untimely fate when a sexton attempted to rob her grave and found her alive. 
her husband was quite shocked to find her knocking on the door one evening. A terrifying tale from Varla Ventura's Book of the Bazaar, available now wherever books are sold. We are back. You're listening to the Ghost Chronicles. And now we have our guest, which is uh, Richard Salvis. He has written in a book uh, in, the, in the past uh, called The Reincarnation. Oh, God, I messed up. Reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln. But he has a new book out now, which is interesting as well. And I've ghost hunting yoga. Is that it, Richard? Yes. Hi. How are you? Good. Yes, the name of this new book is titled The uh, Yoga of Ghost Hunting. And you notice how I turn thing, every, everything around? I think that's my dyslexia. I do apologize for that. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> and, and this is brand new, right? Yes, it's just come out. And, I mean, just the title alone intrigues me. Could you uh, tell me, first of all, how you, how you picked the, the title and, uh, you know, and what, what is the uh, gist of the book? Yes, well, uh, I think I should start by saying that most people feel that uh, or believe that yoga has to do strictly with yoga postures, but there's a lot more to yoga. Yoga is also about uh, spiritual teachings that uh, help can help people who are interested in the metaphysical realm. Uh, there are certain things that uh, yogis know about that can be very helpful to people, especially who would like to do ghost hunting. And this became clear to me. Um, my own background is that I've been uh, uh, studying and practicing the deeper teachings of yoga for over 35 years. And um, I've been interested in ghosts, but I never went ghost hunting. Uh, still, I've had a surprising number of experiences with ghosts and astral entities. And uh, a number of years ago, after I wrote the book, The Reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln, which I've uh, discussed before on your program, right? We, um, I was invited to speak at a ghost conference. At that time, it was in Las Vegas. And uh, while preparing for my talk, I realized that in addition to speaking just about my uh, reincarnation book, I also had a lot to say about ghosts and ghost hunts. Uh, I've been studying the teachings of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. He's a great master of yoga. He's well known to millions throughout the world because of his book, Autobiography of the Yogi, which uh, many, many people have read, including uh, the Beatles and Elvis Presley. And uh, so he's had a great impact on the world, and he's a real-world teacher. And uh, so I've been studying his teachings as well as those of his disciple named Swami Kriyananda, who found the Ananda community that I'm part of. And uh, Yogananda often spoke and wrote about ghosts and death and the astral world, which is the energy sphere that ghosts live in. And uh, I've also learned techniques uh, as taught by both of them for psychic protection and more, and I've included those techniques in the book. But um, the, uh, it's interesting to, to be a yogi and uh, to just be going on meditating and visiting various places in the world and then have these experiences with ghosts. This has really been quite fascinating. So I included uh, those experiences in the book and also the uh, techniques that I described because these techniques are really quite helpful for people. Uh, when I first gave my uh, first lecture at, in Las Vegas and I started to talk about these things, I realized while looking at the audience and talking to them later that uh, they'd had a lot of experiences with ghosts and ghost hunting, but they'd never heard this perspective before. It's a brand-new approach to ghost hunting. And uh, I think it is. I, I've never heard it before. Yet I do know of many circumstances where people 
who practice yoga have actually had paranormal experiences. So it does make sense, though. Yes, and in fact, uh, one of the reasons for that is many people who do yoga, well, if, if you do yoga postures uh, and you're not just doing the totally physical approach to it, but uh, maybe more of an inward approach, what happens is you develop your sensitivity to the energy world, which is the world that ghosts live in. And once you develop that sensitivity, then you can become more aware of ghosts. And it's quite possible that there are millions of people throughout the world who are being affected by ghosts and aren't even aware of it because I believe that there are more than just the ghosts that we have found, I think, is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, the, the ghosts that we go to see on ghost hunts, I, I believe that there are actually millions of ghosts uh, throughout the world and uh, that they affect uh, quite a few of us, but many of us are just not aware of it. But uh, through yoga, you become to you become aware of these things, and then uh, that awareness precedes control of the situation. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, I, I was going to say a side effect, but uh, I think you can actually, I mean, you know, you go with psychic development to see ghosts and to speak with ghosts and to connect with ghosts, and, and here you're, you're doing something that's totally different, and yet you're going into that same realm. Yes, and so then I'm more aware of them. And one, and uh, you know, I was speaking about people who practice yoga becoming aware of ghosts. And, uh, you know, the other aspects that have to do with ghosts, being able to see them, uh, being able to hear them, uh, being able to even smell them. <laughs> I've actually right. had experiences where I've smelled ghosts, and I think other people have had experiences like that, too. Now, now when um, you say, wait, let me, let me interrupt for a second. When yes. you say you smell ghosts, uh, are you smelling odors associated with a particular person, or is this an odor that's... Uh, associated with spirits in general? Uh, I think, well, the odor that I smelled, smelled mostly uh, has to do with, with uh, spirits in general. And uh, the uh, and I think the sensitivity that I've gained, what I was uh, trying to get to, uh, was that uh, these, these sensitivities are especially developed specifically through learning meditation techniques. And in, my, in the book, I actually teach a meditation technique that can help people to become more aware of the astral world. And through that, see, um, you know, we, we try to uh, do these recordings, and sometimes we'll catch little glimpses or little little snippets of conversation or little snippets of uh, monologue that a ghost is directing toward us. And uh, but most most of the communication is on a subtler level. It's on a more uh, you might call a subliminal level. It's it's a subtle level. It's an energy level. And if you're able to hear on that level, then you can hear much more than you would hear from a recording device or just with your your regular ears, because the physical ears are uh, their physical manifestation of something that is much more subtle. There's there's an uh, actual energy counterpart to the physical ear, and uh, with that uh, energetic ability to hear, then you can also hear much more clearly what ghosts might be saying to you. Uh, then you can uh, do a lot of what, you know, the psychics do. Right. But uh, it, do you think it's the same as being a psychic, or is it just uh, a different, is it totally different? I, I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, uh, well, the psych we all, uh, we're all made the same way on, an, on a subtle level. Uh, we have our physical body with the two hands, two arms, two legs, and so on like that. In a similar way, on a subtler level, we're made the same. And we have these, these subtle abilities. We have a sort of like an astral ear that we can hear 
astral conversations. We have uh, also an astral eye, which is called the third eye or the spiritual eye. And uh, that's in, uh, the point between the eyebrows in the middle of the forehead. And if you're able to tune in to that point, you can often uh, access, uh, you know, you can often see ghosts, you can uh, hear them, you can smell them like I was talking about. Now, you had asked about astral odors and uh, whether it was a specific odor or just a general one. Right. And I've had both experiences before. And I had one quite recently. Uh, in March, I went to Virginia City in Nevada to speak at another ghost conference there. And uh, when I was coming down from the hills into the town, uh, I was in a car and the windows were all closed up. So there wasn't anything that was coming into the windows. or And uh, the air system was, was uh, intact in the car. I wasn't letting air come in from outside. But I suddenly had this, smelled this sort of musty smell. And it's something that I've associated before. Uh, for a while, I actually lived with uh, two ghosts in an apartment for uh, a number of weeks. And uh, I had that same, it's, it's a very subtle odor. And it's, it's, it's like something that's been left a little too long. Uh, something, you know, when you go into the closet and you open up the trunk and you smell the mothballs, but there's a musty odor there too. And uh, it's not like something is rotting or anything like that. It's just, just a sort of a musty odor. It's not unpleasant, but it is very noticeable. It's, it's not like a body odor. It's, 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 something no. that's, it's more like stagnant air of that type. Yes, yes, exactly. It's sort of a stagnant air experience. And uh, in my book, I mentioned uh, this experience, and then I compared it with another experience that I've had. Uh, through the many years that I've been practicing the teachings of yoga and meditation, uh, I've had various uh, interesting experiences, and one had to do with a, uh, a, ver a certain woman who is a stigmatist. She had the uh, marks of Christ's passion on her body. And uh, she lived in southern Italy, and a friend was going to visit her, so I sent her a message. And uh, my friend came back and uh, told me her answer to my message. And then uh, he said, she might have sent you another message, a second message. And I said to my friend, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, sometimes uh, this, this, this person who is like a great soul, like a saint, would send a particular fragrance. And uh, it would be her way of greeting you and, and let you, letting you know that you're in her thoughts and uh, that her astral body might be around you, blessing you. And I said, you know, it's really amazing. Ever since I got up this morning, I smelled something, and I thought it was somebody had a new cologne, but it smelled like roses. And that was the exact odor that uh, she sent. So it was like an astral fragrance. So there are various levels of fragrances. There are various levels of astral experiences. And the ghosts are on sort of one level, but there are many different levels that you can access. Once you start to meditate, as I teach in the book, uh, then you can start to have many different kinds of experiences this way. And when you go on ghost hunts, you'll be able to experience it that much more deeply. I think it's a great idea. I mean, we're always looking for new equipment or new things to, to uh, enhance the experience. And I, I think this would be, uh, you know, I mean, relatively inexpensive and... Uh, it also uh, enhance your uh, experience as well. Yes, and I've been really gratified. Uh, I had an email just this morning from a woman who attended one of the ghost conferences I spoke at, and uh, she said that uh, she's been practicing the technique that I taught there at the conference, and she said she used to experience ghosts uh, coming home with her, you know. Uh, people sometimes feel that. They'll go to on a ghost hunt, and then when they come home, they'll feel like, 
gosh, I feel like that spirit might be around me a little bit. And uh, But the technique that I taught her was able to, to free her of that. And uh, so I'm, I'm really... I'm really excited about this book because I think it can be very helpful to a lot of people who like to go on ghost hunts. Ghost hunts are fun, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean, exactly. they're 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 really interesting. They're fascinating. They're, they're you know, what is it exactly? What are we experiencing? What is this thing? Is it a ghost? Is it another person that had died and is still there, or is it something else? You know. And I mentioned talk about that in the book too. That there are there uh, there are ghosts, and then there are other experiences that you can have that. Uh, they seem like ghosts, but they're but they're different. Right. Now, do you distinguish the difference between ghosts and spirits, or, or do you do you use it uh, interchangeably? Um, well, ghosts are spirits, uh, they're, but they're, I, I, th- I think of ghosts as uh, those spirits that are bound to this earth, uh, mostly against their will, and I say mostly because some part of them still wants to be here, uh, but I think on the deeper level, they would like to be free, uh, but they may not be ready for that yet. And I, that experience came clear to me when I visited the Tower of London in uh, England. Uh, it was built by William the Conqueror way back in uh, 1080 or something, but uh, when I visited, uh, yes. And it is haunted as well. Yes, well, I experienced that too. I mean, you may, have you experienced that? Have you gone there? I have not. Uh, some members of my team and uh, other people like Richard have, and, uh, you know, some of that point. But, no, I, unfortunately, I have not had any, you know, the, the opportunity to go there yet. Well, my experience was uh, very interesting. I came to the uh, the chapel that's there that was built by the Conqueror and his men. And uh, it's a beautiful chapel. It's dedicated to St. John. And I was standing there at the entrance to the chapel, and uh, again, I've been to many, many different places over the years, and I've felt many different subtle vibrations, if you will, there. Uh, some are very powerfully uplifting, others uh, to various different experiences. I've gone to battlefields where I've felt, you know, the sorrow of sometimes of the people who had been who died there and things like that. But uh, in this particular chapel, I felt the inspiration of it being a place, you know, where people would go within and meditate and pray and so on. But I also felt, like, very clearly the presence of ghosts in there, that they were just hovering around, like they were just flying around, uh, you know, in the upper cupola of the chapel above me. It was very strong impression while I was standing there. And I thought, you know, these these spirits, I think, have been here for quite a while because I know the history of the tower. You know, it's a very bloody history over all the centuries. And uh, so I I just sent them an ohm (laughs) mentally and just wished them well. And I think the tour guide must have wondered what was going on. He asked me if I was all right, and I said, yes, I'm just fine. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to go to these places that are historic because Places like that that have been around for a long time, that have had dramatic uh, experiences occurring there, are also real, you know, just breeding places for ghosts because people who die quite suddenly are often end up uh, hanging out there for quite a long time afterwards. Right. And and I know that the reports about that chapel, uh, that Anne Boleyn is actually supposed to be one of the spirits that uh, haunts that place, and, and many of the guides and so forth have heard, uh, you know, noises coming from there. Uh, and one of them even reported seeing a uh, uh, 
spectral procession. Uh, they actually climbed up and looked in one of the windows, and they saw a, a spectral uh, procession when no one was there. Yeah, isn't that isn't that fascinating? You know, it must I, be it must be very interesting to work in a place like that. <laughs> right, and, 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 on a daily basis. So, so your 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 book is is just out, and um, where is it available at this time? Uh, well, you could get it uh, at uh, through my website. Best place to get it is through my website, which is uh, uh, connected. The website is connected with my uh, Lincoln book. It's uh, LincolnReincarnation.com, and that'll take you to the main page. And right at the top of the main page is uh, uh, the image of the front cover of this new book, The Yoga of Ghost Hunting. And if you click on there, it'll take you to the the uh, page for that book. And uh, you know, I, I've, I've read the other book before, and, and I, unfortunately, I haven't had the, the opportunity yet to read this one. But I know the Lincoln and Lindbergh is uh, is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, or the reincarnation of uh, Lincoln. But I mean, that you know, that's amazing. Too. Now, for you know, I actually uh, when while I was writing that book, I uh, was uh, living in a haunted uh, apartment. Really. It, Yes, I was in Mountain View, California, and there's a uh, an Ananda community there. And uh, in one of the apartments I was staying there, we had just moved in, my wife and I. And uh, I was taking a hiatus from work because I knew the book, that Lincoln book, took a lot of research. And it just took many, many, well, it took a num- quite a number of years to eventually write it and publish it, uh, something close to 10 years. Wow. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of work. And I like to joke that I really believe in reincarnation because the book itself went into so many incarnations of re-editing and so on. But uh, when I was there in the apartment, um, I just had these these funny sensations that I wasn't alone. I think uh, many people who go ghost hunting or have experienced ghosts have had the same thing. Uh, I was good. One time I was downstairs when I was there with my wife, and I clearly heard my wife walking down the stairs, step by step, coming down. And at the same time, this, this weird thought popped into my head, like out of, you know, the Twilight Zone or something. Uh, wouldn't it be strange if I put, popped my head around the corner and she wasn't there? And I was just sort of laughing at myself for this silly idea, but I did turn, put my head around the corner and there was no one there. Huh. And I had heard, you know, very, very clearly, very loudly coming down, the creaking and the particular steps. And, and I said, huh, just like you did. <laughs> and I said, uh, hmm, I wonder if this place is haunted. So I mentioned this to my wife, and she said, too, she'd had uh, strange feelings there, too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. At that time, we had a, a friend who lived nearby, and uh, he was someone who had done ghost clearings before, who had helped the ghost to make the transition uh, to the astral world uh, out of the physical world. And uh, he... Uh, we asked him if he would mind coming by, and he very graciously consented. So uh, we, he asked us to leave the place and to leave it open, and one evening he went there around eventide. He said that's a good time, twilight, for seeing ghosts uh, because they're, they're more in, in touch with the physical world, something about that transition from light to dark. You know, they're kind of in between the two also. Right. And uh, so he went into the place, and uh, he had asked us beforehand, well, we had to stay there for a few days before he was able to come. Uh, he suggested we do a few things, uh, put uh, salt around our bed when before we sleep at night. Uh, he suggested that we put 
uh, hang up uh, crucifixes because those can be helpful in these cases. And uh, when we came back uh, that evening, the crucifix was uh, had been taken down, and we were very surprised by that. And so we went to our friend, we asked him, well, what happened? He said, well, you know, I, I immediately could tell that there were ghosts there because I could feel that cold feeling. You know, this is, again, it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's, you can be uh, caught on instruments of temperature readings, but other, other times it's just a feeling of, of astral cold where uh, the ghosts were. And so there was one upstairs and one downstairs. So he sat downstairs, and while he was sitting there, after a period of time, he suddenly saw in front of him a Native American man, an older man, and his face was covered with blood, and uh, he was very angry. And uh, he, he said something like, death to the Christos, which meant that he was very angry at Christians. Right. And it appeared that this was in the uh, Bay Area, that he was a Native American who lived in that area and, uh, and uh, during the time of the missionaries. And uh, somehow he ran afoul of the missionaries and perhaps their soldiers, and he was killed. And uh, he was still there, you know, holding on to the anger uh, to deal with this. Now, my friend, who, again, who is very experienced in these things, he said he had a temptation at that point because he had studied Plains Indian mythology in college. And he was tempted to try to, you know, intersperse that into his mental conversation with his ghost. And he realized that this, this Native American would know nothing about that right. and that it would just be confusing to him. So he just opened himself up to the ghost, which is something that we have to do when we go on ghost hunts. We have to be open to their reality if we want to really know where they're coming from. And uh, so he said uh, to the he asked the ghost, well, what do you believe about the afterlife? And this ghost uh, told him. And uh, so he... Uh, was able to, through that imagery that the ghost shared with him, help him to see that he had passed on, and that it was time to, for him to move on. And he was able to help him to make the transition. And then my friend went upstairs into our master bedroom, actually, and up there there was another spirit. It was the son of the man that he had helped free downstairs. And he, when he appeared, he was on a... Uh, um, uh, a horse. <laughs> so there was a, a ghost horse there, too. Your bedroom, um, bedroom? Yes, yes, right there in our... And uh, it was just quite uh, interesting, but he was able to free him as well. He had uh, died like his father, and he had stayed there with his father uh, in this area right where their home had used to be, or where they, where they had died, and now they were free as well. But, you know, I had one... Exp uh, during all the time, all the weeks that I was there working on the book and the ghosts were there, sometimes I would feel them, their presence, and I would just stop what I was doing, and I would just send them light, and I would just say, go into the light. You're, you're not in your body anymore. You know, I know often the ghosts don't know that they're dead, and that it's, sometimes you have to be able to tell them, and sometimes they won't believe you, but if, if they are able to believe you, you might be able to help them to move on. And so I did that, and I wished them nothing but, but good. And I kind of felt like they were my friends by the end of this process. And after they were gone, you know, the, the whole atmosphere was just amazing. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> changes, absolutely. Would you believe we've gone through this half hour? Oh, my gosh, we already have. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and you have to leave us, right? Yes, I'm sorry. I have to. I have to. All right. So, Rich, we want to thank Richard Salvas for uh, being on. Uh, once again, he has his new book, uh, The Yoga of Ghost Hunting. Did I get the title right this time? 
Yes, that's right, yes. Right, and also, of course, uh, the reincarnation of Abraham Lincoln. If you go to his website, uh, you can uh, get the books from there, and I think the reincarnation of uh, Lincoln is available everywhere, right? Yes, yes, it's in bookstores, on Amazon, and, and everywhere, and uh, this book will be that way as well, but uh, for now, you can get it at, again at lincolnreincarnation.com. All right, thank you, Richard. You have a great day, and uh, have a Merry Christmas, though. You too. Happy holidays. Yeah, bye. Bye. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from the competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the rock star marketing boot camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Duswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Druggynet.com. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International. And I am Ron Kolick, New England's own Van Helsink. And not with me today is Mr. Richard Felix, who is wandering through the snow aimlessly in the U.K. because they don't know how to deal with it up there, evidently. But anyways, I believe Eric is going to join me now. Eric, I'm here. There you go. So uh, do you guys get snow down there at all? Very rarely. When we get snow here, they shut everything down. Do they really? Yeah, everything. None of the roads are open. They shut all the highways down. Um, Yeah, all the bridges, everything. They shut shut them down. I I think that's... That's interesting because it's similar to that, like in uh, Washington D.C. And, and of course, uh, for those who don't know, Eric is in uh, Texas, and uh, I am up in the uh, New England, of course. And uh, yeah, snow is like yeah, snow. That's it's snow. That's all. You know what I mean? Whatever. <laughs> well, when I can give you an example, when I lived in Austin, I worked for FedEx, and we had a snowstorm there, and within 30 minutes, we had. What was it? Four hundred and sixty-seven accidents. So, Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> what this, uh, as soon as it started to snow, it was kind of that sleet snow ice thing. Yeah. And, and as soon as it started, within thirty minutes, four hundred and sixty-seven accidents. Not in FedEx, but just throughout the city. In the first thirty minutes. Unbelievable. 
<laughs> they freak out. Yeah. Now, I, I noticed, uh, I don't know, it, it, whatever. I mean, I don't know, global warming or what the hell it is, but whatever. I mean, we've had, we, we were up in 50s uh, last weekend, but anyway. Uh, we uh, had some interesting investigations uh, this, this past uh, if it, by the way, if anybody wants to call in, uh, the number here is 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, and let us know uh, if you have, uh, the, you know, any experiences, ghost stories, whatever. So, uh, basically, that's, we're putting out a plea for... Yeah, please uh, call in. <laughs> Talk to us about something, anything. Yeah, it, it's interesting, well, it's interesting, though, because... Um, there's a place in Gardner, Massachusetts called the Haunted Victorian. It's an old Victorian house. And uh, the owners who bought the house uh, want to fix it up. I mean, but this is like the original Victorian with the slate roof and everything else. I mean, the roof is going to cost thousands and thousands right, of dollars right. alone. But the house is extremely haunted. It was on, I think, season three of the Ghost Hunters or one or two or whatever. I don't know. Whatever. But anyways, um, they've opened it up to paranormal groups uh, for investigations and everything to try to raise money, which I think is a great thing. And there seems to be a lot of activity uh, associated with it. I know that the last time we were there, uh, one of the persons uh, that who died in the house was the guy that supposedly uh, spontaneously combusted. Right. I remember that story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Evidently, I said this before, right? No, I just remember that story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've but, been listening to you for years, so. Oh, that's true, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's got it's so many different layers of different people. Uh, it was a a, uh, a boarding house as well, and there were, like, um, uh, how do you say it? Women of ill repute there as well? Yeah. Is that the thing? It's, it's interesting because some of the rooms still have the numbers on We'll call him that for now. <laughs> hey, but you know what? I was actually in church this morning, and they was the, the priest was saying that uh, tax collectors and the, the prostitutes are going to heaven. So, hey, there you go. <laughs> Lucky for them. <laughs> Maybe I'm in the wrong profession. I don't know. So are you saying that the, the activity in the house has picked up since they decided to open it back up? They have. It seems like uh, with more and more groups coming in, uh, there seems to be more and more activity. That's not typically the way it works, is it? It can, because uh, a lot of times, uh, what it is that spirits realize that people are attempting to communicate with. Well, well think about it this way: if, if you're a ghost and you wander around aimlessly, right, and you can never tell your story or, or never get anything off your chest, and all of a sudden you have somebody that's trying to listen to you, uh, wouldn't you be like all over that? Um, it, you kind of just described me on my daily basis now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I guess I yeah, I guess I would. Well, that's what happens, and as Maureen always says, I mean, of course, Maureen's a trans medium, and a lot of people ask, her, "Why do you do that?" And she says, "Well, did you ever have a bad day, and you just told someone to get it off your chest, and and you felt so much better?" And and it kind of that's how it works in a, in a lot of cases. I, I know working with her in the past that you've gone into a place and it's been very dark and very heavy and everything else, and then all of a sudden she will, uh, you know, trans channel the. Uh, uh, the spirit to 
then all of a sudden uh, you can almost feel a, a lightness in the air, like a, a heaviness is lifted. lifted so. Well, I just figured since you know, a lot of these ghost groups and stuff, don't a lot of them try to help these ghosts move on? Or is that only if they're asked to by the owners of the house? Or how does that work? These guys on TV that I see all the time. Oh, okay. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> but, I mean, and there are others that, uh, you know, that try to move spirits on. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, how, I'm really not sure on that, uh, how much we can move spirits on as far as. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would think we would really not have that much to do with it. That much control. Well, I don't see how we could have any control over that, but. That's just me. Right. Well, you see you see the stories like the Ghost Whisperer on TV, of course, which is fiction, by the way. It might be based on someone, but it is fiction. Right. I saw The Exorcist, too, but... Yes. But, I mean, the, those type of uh, movies, I mean, there's so, medium, so many mediums that are out there that uh, they'll, they'll go into a house and they'll tell the spirits, uh, you know, here's the light, and they're gone. So. Hmm. All right. So I don't. I have no clue what that means. Anyways, but anyways, uh, the other thing that uh, we had interestingly happen at that house is that sometimes uh, the spirits seem to be uh, uh, speaking almost in uh, with an accent, which is interesting. Like you'll do EVPs and you'll actually capture an accent on it. In other words. Which like an sense. English accent or Australian right, accent? Right, like a, yeah, an Irish accent, an English accent. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I can't can either. Tell. <laughs> Through all the guests we've had in the show, it's like, you know, I, I can't understand any of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like me with you. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you have a horrible accent. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> just saying. Uh, yeah, just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, I would think they would have an accent. I mean, if they... If they died with an accent, they wouldn't really know. I mean, they wouldn't just start speaking Japanese, so they would keep talking like they would have always talked, right? It, we really don't know. That's the thing. Now, for instance, if what if the ghost only spoke uh, Indian or only spoke uh, uh, French? Uh, could we understand them? Would they be able to? Uh, it's believed that like mediums can understand, uh, like someone, say a Frenchman. I don't know why anybody would want to, but uh, they uh, they can actually understand the Frenchman without him speaking. In other words, it seems like it's a mind-link thing. In other words, like well, yeah, I could see a medium doing that, but yeah, because that's that's more feeling, emotional, um, you know, sensing anger, <laughs> sensing pleasure, sensing you know whatever it is, or that was my understanding of it. But then, um, like on EVPs and stuff, though, you would think what you hear is what you get. And it 
not it's not necessarily a Frenchman trying to speak to you because a Frenchman's not going to turn around and do an EVP in an English accent, right? We, we don't know. That's the thing. I mean, most EVPs are in English. Why is that? Hmm. Maybe that's just what we hear. I don't know. <laughs> Anybody wants to call in, by the way, and, and, and uh, weigh in on this number is 877-864-4869, uh, It Really, I mean, when you think about the number of EVPs that are captured, uh, uh, you know, through the United States and, and so forth, very, very, very few are in a foreign language. Well, what about the groups in foreign countries? The same. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't watch enough TV from India or whatever <laughs> to know if they're ghost hunters. Very, very bad, very, very bad. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, just saying. As Richard, as Richard says, that, that he believes that ghosts are a English uh, phenomena, but uh, I, I kind of disagree. I think that just different cultures uh, look at them differently than we do. Yeah, and it could be that you only hear the EVPs that you can understand. I mean, if you have a room full of sounds and and different things like that, you may only be picking up on what you as an English-speaking person can understand. There might be another EVT, EVP right behind it with some French guy talking, but you wouldn't know it because to you it would just sound uh, weird. Yeah, but you would still hear the voice, which is the thing. But you got to understand that an EVP is a manifestation. It's not really a recording. So uh, the spirit is actually manifesting its voice on right. the recorder. Right. So it's not, you know, so evidently they're putting their voice in in English. Maybe that's because we speak English. They want to communicate, yada, yada. I don't know. Maybe they carry a translator around with them. <laughs> <laughs> that could happen. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but anyway, the the thing is, uh, you know, EVPs. Uh, you know what? I'm going to ask. Uh, we have uh, Mike Marquardt coming on tomorrow night's show, uh, you know, which is uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. That's on 7 uh, p.m. tomorrow night on TojiNet. And he'll be doing, uh, he'll be playing some of his EVPs. Oh, good. And uh, also, uh, we can ask him some of these questions, what his thoughts are. Now, because I know that he, he believes he has recordings of heaven, heaven, if you can believe that. Recorded from heaven? Yeah. Recorded what from heaven? Voice. What do they say? Angelic singing. Really? Yeah. But not in English? I believe it is in English. Hmm. Maybe God's English. Ah! <laughs> Could be. Yeah, I get a lot of hate metal now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he'll be on. He, he has, uh, I think he has two recorded that he believes are recordings from heaven. That's so interesting. We will ask him about that tomorrow, but I will ask, also ask him about this foreign language thing. Because, I mean, let's face it, there are a lot many more people who speak uh, a foreign language to us than speak English. That's true. But with English being the hardest language to learn, 
uh, maybe they've had hundreds of years after death to learn it. This is true. Uh, but anyways, I, I, I will just have to ask them tomorrow. That's tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on uh, TojiNet. Uh, Mike Marquardt, who, who has recorded thousands, I guess, of uh, EVPs. So uh, we will have examples that he will be playing, some of the ones that uh, we'll be discussing. Uh, cool, you'll have to send them to me ahead of time, and then I can... Uh I can translate them myself and see if what I hear matches what he says. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the funny thing about EVPs is, is that a lot of people say, "Well, I got you know, I got a hundred EVPs when I go on an investigation," and I listen to them, and to me, they're like, you know, unless it's really a class A, which means it's really, really clear that anybody can hear the the, uh, uh, the same. You know, everybody hears the same thing, and you don't have to strange ears for it. Right. Uh, So how many classes are there? There are basically three classes, A, B, and C. Class A means that uh, everyone who, you know, you play it, everyone who hears the same thing without any coaxing. Okay. Uh, class B is most people would hear it, uh, but there's still a little interpretation. You might have a few people that quite. And then a class C is totally open interpretation. Okay. So that, you've done a couple of shows on pets right and uh, i just don't i've never been one that agreed with pets going to heaven or pets having spirits right so i mean and i've never heard a dog barking on tape that's been dead have you i have absolutely we did get as i just mentioned any gatehouse we did an investigation. There were no dogs there whatsoever. Uh, no dogs like outside or anything else. It was, you know, a nighttime investigation and uh, clear as a bell. You could hear a dog barking. Maybe I, I get that one. I'll send it over uh, tomorrow with the rest of Mike's as well. Yeah, I'd like to hear that one too. Yeah, because you know, I, I was kind of with you, I mean, but maybe it, just because it's recorded as an EVT doesn't mean it, it is the spirit. For instance, they have uh, recordings or EVT of it's from Scotland of a uh, castle. You can hear the drawbridge going up and down, and yet the drawbridge is long gone. Yet investigators will get recordings of the sound. True. So well, when you put it like that, I guess that that makes more sense. But I don't. But see, the, the only problem with that is, and, I'm, and this is once again, I'm going to have to bring this up with Mike. If you believe that an EVT is the spirit manifesting, uh, changing the white noise, then why would a recording be able to change the white noise on a recorder? Maybe the spirit that's there um, is remembering sounds of old. And maybe he can't speak. But oh, all can... right. So you're saying that a spirit is actually manipulating the white noise and putting a sound on it. Uh, whether it be a uh, drawbridge opening or a, a dog barking or a toilet flushing. Yeah. Uh, huh. 
I mean, I don't think it's the building itself doing it because the building itself, the building itself, I don't think would be haunted unless there was something haunting it. So, well, well, if you believe in the stone tape theory, which is uh, that uh, certain uh, quartz uh, can retain, uh, you know, sounds and so forth, or, or even projections as far as ghosts, uh, and they get to play, be played over again under the right conditions, then, you know, it's, it's possible that that could happen with sound, but not as the DVP. Yeah, to me, that way, I would think that would make more sense as a recording. For instance, if, if you... Uh, uh, you know, there are, there are examples of pottery that were made uh, back in ancient times, and uh, if you put, like, a reed in it or a, a, a stylus on it, you can actually hear noises from that time while it was recorded, uh, while the pottery was being made. Because, as you know, like a record, a record is just grooves that uh, have uh, uh, sound embedded in it, and right. that's basically pottery. It's pottery going around in circles, they're manipulating a different instruments, especially, you know, a stylus. Sometimes they use different tools, and it makes perfect sense that that can be recorded into the uh, the clay, pretty much as a uh, record can be recorded. Well, yeah. Which, uh, oop, did I say that? No, say what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear anything. That. <laughs> I'll have to listen to the recording. Uh, there you go. Let's see if I can catch it on an EVP. <laughs> uh, we actually have some of the Pararex chat room. Cat says that cats and dogs have souls. So do rats. Dogs and, and rats? Yeah. Okay. That'd be cats, a lot of sense. I don't know why rats, but I have met some cats, dogs, and rats. I know that. So evidently she's a medium, and that makes sense. Uh, do they stick together in one spot after they pass? Maybe they have things to less tired of possessions than humans. So let's say rats, and let's go to England and go down into the old abandoned sewers. Yeah. You would think you would be able to record just tons of rat noises, right? Because if they if they stay where they died, and they have voices then you should be able to record in places where there were literally millions of rats that's yeah what cat, cat cat says that uh they just don't they're not tied to possessions like humans are so therefore they're, they're not hanging around they're gone you know but you might have one or two that are uh, uh, trapped i guess or whatever mm, okay the research gal she says she'd rather be around animals than humans oh that hurts <laughs> But to be honest with you, I, I know some animals I would rather be around than humans, too. Some humans, whatever. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> but anyways, the animals, the, every time that subject comes up, it's uh, it's always uh, stirs up the pot, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that, uh, I believe, uh, what's his name? I can't remember. Oh, I got his book, too, the uh, pet ghosts. Uh, he actually believes that there are two places where prehistoric animal ghosts are around. So figure that one out. That would be cool to catch. Prehistoric animals? Here yeah. It is. Yeah, pet ghosts by Joshua Warren. Hmm. 
animal encounters from beyond the grave. And, and there's two places. I believe there's a farm in North Carolina and a place in Canada where uh, supposedly there are prehistoric ghosts. Talk about feeling like you were being watched. <laughs> You'd be like, pray. <laughs> that would be kind of eerie. I, I, I don't see how that could be because, I mean, that, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know either. I mean, do they step on you? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when you just get cold all over, then you know they've stepped on you already. You know, there's, there's so much interest. There. I'll have to see if I can get Joshua on again. I haven't, I haven't had him on my show since uh, the days back in WCCM, so I think it's about time for another trip. This sounds good. Down Pet Lane. <laughs> hey, do you want to play a cemetery tripping before we leave? I think we should before uh, Ian gets mad at me. All right. Well, we got a few. Uh, I apologize. I'm I'm not a normal on the show, so if I've offended anybody, then. Uh, oh, you're fine. Yeah. Anyways, just... why don't we put on a uh, cemetery trip and, and then we'll be back All right. to wrap it up. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping where I feature cemeteries that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. As an avid taffophile, or lover of tombstones, I spend a lot of time in the local New England area in the beautiful and historic cemeteries we have here. The stones here are like no others, and I have literally thousands of pictures of the intricate and symbolic carvings found on them. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Tonight, I would like to tell you about King's Chapel Burying Ground in Boston, Mass. Established in 1630, it is Boston's oldest burying ground and was located on the outskirts of what was then a new Puritan settlement. It was first called the Burying Place prior to the opening of Cox Hill Burying Ground and then called the Old Burying Place. Eventually, it adopted the name of its neighbor, King's Chapel, although it has never been affiliated with that or any other church. In the first 30 years of its existence, the people buried here were predominantly English-born immigrants who came to the New World seeking religious freedom and new economic opportunity. Approximately 600 gravestones and 29 tabletop tombs are left today to mark the more than 1,000 people buried in this small space, which is tucked like a bookmark amongst the old and the new buildings. Perhaps the most famous of the gravestones in the cemetery is that of Joseph Tapping, a Boston shopkeeper who died at the age of 23, of whom little else is known. It is one of the most elaborate in the burying ground and is immediately visible upon entering. It is a work of art conceived by the unnamed carver known as the Charlestown Stonecutter. Some of the beautifully carved symbolic images show a skull with wings representing the soul leaving the body, an hourglass representing time running out, a skeleton of death snuffing out the candle of life, and a bearded figure of Father Time attempting to stop death. Other notable figures who reside in King's Chapel are John Winthrop, first governor of Massachusetts, Elizabeth Payne, partial inspiration for Nathaniel Hawthorne's character Hester Prynne in The Scarlet Letter, Mary Chilton, first woman off the Mayflower, and William Dawes, who rode the midnight ride with Paul Revere. You can find Paul in the granary just down the street. 
but that's a story for another time. Two local legends involve that of a coffin made too short for its intended occupant, so the inept carpenter, hoping to conceal his error, supposedly cut off her head, placed it between her feet, and nailed shut the coffin so that no one would know. Another tale concerns a person rumored to be buried alive. A mob raised such a furor that the coffin had to be dug up in their presence and the corpse declared dead by doctors. One of the more interesting items in a corner of the cemetery is a large hole covered by an ornate structure of wrought iron and brick. Tourists often have no idea that this is actually a subway ventilation shaft. It was built in 1896 when Boston's subway system became the first in the country. As you move about the burying ground, you will note a common theme, the uncertainty of colonial life as disease, childbirth, and smallpox claimed their victims before their time. Seven epidemics of smallpox were experienced in Boston by 1730. Almost a quarter of the surviving grave markers in Boston's 17th century burying grounds are for children nine years old or younger. The best way to get to King's Chapel burying ground is public transportation. Park Street Station is just down the street at the Boston Common. A short walk up the hill and you will arrive at your destination. Just follow the red line of the Freedom Trail, which runs right past the cemetery. When you arrive, take a moment to contemplate this incredible piece of history and the changes that have gone on around it. And we are back. She That's needs to do some more of those. Yeah, it's our regular show. Uh, we're adding uh, uh, quite a few features. Uh, we have, of course, Beyond Bizarre. We have uh, Cemetery Tripping. And uh, we're going to be adding Dreadful Penny. We'll be doing a wonderful piece for the show as well on horror movies. So anyways, uh, I do want to mention before we forget, we're doing a special show next week at Circles of Wisdom in Andover. Uh, we will have Elizabeth Foley on. We'll have... Uh, um, what's her name there, Dorothy Morgan, who is an astrologer and will be looking at the year ahead. We'll also be collecting, come on down, because we'll be collecting uh, socks for the homeless, and if you bring a pair in, you get uh, entered in a drawing for a free reading. Uh, there'll be some snacks down there. We're going to be giving out prizes, so yeah, it's going to be a good time. That sounds like a good time. Too bad you won't be there, Eric. No, but I'll be here. There you go. I do appreciate that. No problem. So, once again, that'll be at the uh, Circles of Wisdom in Andover, and that's uh, on next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And everything in the store is going to be 20% off as well. So, last minute shopping in the metaphysical. There you go. But you know what? Somebody from the uh, Pararex stack room, uh, chat room, said that somewhere, let me see if I can catch it. Uh, somebody robbed 400 brass urns from a Houston cemetery this weekend. Really? Yeah. Oh, that was Ceiling, ceiling Cat that said that. wonder how they're going to get away with those. 400 brass urns. You know why they do it, for the metal, of course. Well, yeah, for the brass. Yeah, that's a big, huge problem in in uh, this area as well. People stealing, uh, stealing uh, like, copper. Wow, I would have never thought that. Yeah. Time to so go. All right, time to wrap it up. So, Eric, thanks for filling in, and uh, tune in tomorrow night. We have uh, uh, Mark Watts on for EVPs and uh, so forth, and tune in next week at the Circles of Wisdom. So, good night, and God bless, everyone. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump, 
in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.